Can you imagine what it must be like to be so void of opinion, so in need of acceptance that you become a kind of personality assimilator? You sound amazing. <laughs> cool. Um, guys, we roll right into it here, Otto. This is This Juan Time. Thanks for tuning in. Today, my guest is Otto D. I'm a butcher your last name, so I'll let you do that. But world-renowned audio producer, engineer, and host, and uh, creator of the recording artist found on Amazon Prime. Uh, are, you, are you posting on YouTube? No, it's on, uh, we have our own Roku TV channel. Roku TV channel, that's what it was. And it's also, uh, most of the content's available at the website, which is therecordingartist.com. Which is, um, we would uh, really uh, encourage people to visit your website and uh, join the uh, uh, the subscribers, the membership. Yeah. Um, so you can see all the cool behind the scenes access that you give folks. I mean, you you give everybody a crash course on what it's like to recording a legit studio and, and have all that at your fingertips and you do it in a i want to say bite-sized mm-hmm. but uh in a very um it's, manageable it's, yeah it's it's entertaining and uh informational yes but i think that you know i'm i've been doing this for a while i've been making records for a living since 1989 wow so you know i've been doing it for a while yeah and uh it gets really boring to do the same thing over and over, whatever your job is. Yeah. And so uh, with me and making records, it's kind of like, I don't want to make another record unless I really like you as a person because we're going to spend a lot of time together. Mm-hmm. Or the music is just, and the musicianship is so incredible that it just kind of takes your breath away. Then you're like, yeah, I want to make that record. Yeah. But I don't want to just record because I want to play with a compressor or play with a reverb. That yes. stuff does not <laughs> fascinate me at all yeah. anymore. Yeah. And yeah. so I think... Uh, when you bring in uh, the the experience of making records and recording and and recording using the tools being so second nature, uh, what becomes more fun for me, because I'm also an entertainer and a performer, is that I get to perform for the cameras the art of recording a band, yes. which isn't just the running the gear, which happens almost behind the scenes. You don't even see me really running that. Yeah. It's the personalities and managing the cre- these creative individuals through a process when they're under the gun and mm-hmm. under the spotlight because they're they're a little nervous and I'm like oh yeah trust me boys follow me you know and they're afraid <laughs> not to follow me and not to trust me and yeah. that that dynamic creates a really cool energy for the for the live webcasts that we do uh typically weekly right now we're monthly as we edit season 2 for TV but uh it's a full 2 hour webcast of a song and then if you, for the techies I go in the next day and do a 2 hour live mix and then we post those on the on the website. Anybody can go to the website without being a subscriber mm-hmm. and hear the last 80 bands we've recorded for free. And and we give all of that music, all those recordings, to the band for free. That is awesome. Yeah. We don't, we're not attached to it. They can license it to TV and film. In fact, we just helped uh, Paper Foxes and Sugar Beat get their songs licensed to a film because we got approached by a director and I, they listened to our catalog and I said, yeah, go talk to them. They own it. Yeah. <laughs> we made it for them. It's theirs. And if they can make money on it, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah. So for me, it's, it's the, the fun of it. And then of course, taking those two hour segments, 
Um, we don't put that whole bit on TV because it's the television audience tends to be a little bit different than the live streaming audience. Yes. They're really into participating and they chat with us on our screen and the band talks back and there's a real interactive element uh, for the members. And on TV, it's more like, I just want to sit back and be entertained. I don't want to think. Yeah. And so we, I go through those two hour sessions and condense them to like a 10 minute to 15 minute path. Got we it. also do green screen interviews with the bands when they're here. So we interject that over bits of the episode to keep the pace moving along. Yeah. Yeah. You got to keep it, keep it moving yeah. for, so the, the, for the television. Yeah. Series. So the episodes represent three bands per episode, including some interaction with the cast. We've got a new thing going this season that uh, I would love to tell you about. Uh, it's going to be fun. I brought on, you know, we have our head of A&R all the time yeah. who comes on our big screen TV right during the session, right at the beginning of the session. That's right. Because the band doesn't know what song they're going to do. They give us three tunes ahead of time and our members vote on that. So right when we go live at seven o'clock, she comes on and tells us what song was picked. And the band finds out. I think that's hilarious. That is. It's, it adds more pressure. It makes everybody feel a little uncomfortable, but, mm-hmm. but not that uncomfortable because they know the stuff. So it just keeps the thing, keeps everybody on their toes, keeps them alive, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that, that was the interacting component, but now we have another one. I felt that I wanted the show to have uh, a little bit more of a, of a purpose or a little bit more of a, um, I don't know, interaction, I guess, outside of the bands. Yeah. So I brought on a music supervisor who had a, has had a 40-year career in radio, uh, at major market radio, as the head supervisor. Her uh-huh. name is Erin Riley. She okay. lives in uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, she is... She was Billboard's uh, number one music supervisor one year. She has her big Billboard award. And, and of course, she has all of her photos on her website of every rock star you've ever known because they all had to come to the music supervisors to say, play our song, play our song. So real you know. quick, even though I'm in, I'm in music and everything, yeah. but a music supervisor, what is their main role? Well, at radio, they, what happens typically, and if you want a really good answer, go to therecordingartist.com and go to the free videos uh-huh. and watch Aaron explain what she did oh, as a music supervisor. Hit pause, do that, come right back. Because I'm telling you, she tells you exactly, she answers this question. I'm going to try, I'm basically going to try to remember what she said for you. Yeah, yeah. But in that role, um, they would have a meeting once a week where all the record companies have sent records. And so her and two other people would listen to everything that was sent. Then they would bring them to the, like a round table of people that would have input. And they'd decide if, what, if, if any and which songs were going to get added to their playlist, you know. And so that's kind of, that's, it's their job to pick. And sometimes they're over a large market. And sometimes when you're a powerful station in a particular market, people follow you. And so they find that you added a record and they didn't, they might, because they know that you're, you know what you're doing. Track record. Yeah. And so I asked her, I said, well, I mean, because a lot of times, obviously, you're kind of playing the same things everybody's playing, but everybody wants to be the first one. Yeah. I said, is there a record? We broke this album. Right. We broke this And I said, is there that record that you felt like you broke? Yeah. And she gave me two two answers for that. One was, um, they were a rock record, a rock station, not so much a pop station, but Cyndi Lauper's first song, Girls Just Want to Have Fun, was out. And they really liked her, mm-hmm. her attitude, and they thought the record was a smash hit anyway. So they said, well, let's just add it. We'll help that record, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that was way in the beginning when it was just getting picked up. So she felt like that she helped, but not that it was a big deal. Yeah. But R.E.M. was a band that she said she championed for years, and no one would play them. Really? They didn't get it. And she's like, no, you, this is good. This is good. And she goes, if it weren't for me, they wouldn't have made it. I'm the one who got them. Oh, radio. shoot. And so I think it's it's got to feel good when you can do that, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so bringing that back to what we're doing at therecordingartist.com, I feel like 
we're giving all of these artists this opportunity. We're giving them this content. But then I thought, you know, what if Erin hears it all and gives us her feedback mm -hmm. from a radio perspective? Mm -hmm. And then how we tie it in is she tells me which bands are going to come in the studio by reviewing all the submissions of bands. Gotcha. And then we bring these bands into the studio. And when I'm done, she listens to the recordings and critiques them. She picks the best, her favorite from each television episode because now we're grouping them in threes. Yeah. And uh, that one goes on our website under Aaron's Picks. So you get to hear her in-depth analysis of what was cool about it yeah. or what could have been cooler about it. Yeah, yeah. And that's a really neat new aspect. So she's a, you know established music supervisor. Now she's ours and she's on the website and she's involved in the show. Very so, cool, man. Yeah, we're excited about that. And so for our head of A&R, of course, the first year was Courtney Schieber, a local uh, woman in Scottsdale. Uh -huh. um, got too busy with her own life, so season two, we brought on Danny Cutler, who was also a program director and on-air personality at KWSS. Yep. Mm -hmm. Now, Danny just moved to the East Coast to Maryland. Did. And so I don't know if she'll end up being with us for season three when we kick it back up again uh, or not. But uh, now then, but anyway, those are all the moving components. We have our head of A&R. We've got our music supervisor. We have our crew here. Mm -hmm. That runs the cameras and helps set up, and then we've got all the bands. So. That's a beautiful thing that you have, you know, that you've put together here. Yeah. Um, you can tell your experience just the way you flow, because um, what people don't, I guess, might not realize is, is in a studio you have a couple of heavy hitters in there, right? Obviously, you got the engineer, the guy running the board, which is what you do on the first day and on day two, right, is, is the engineer. I mean, that's the heavy lifting, right, for, for the second day. The first day, though, you put on your producer hat and you kind of have to take off the engineer hat and producer and come right back. But that producer is putting in the heavy lifting. And uh, I w was a guest on, on uh, your show here, which is how we came to know each other. Mm -hmm. And I remember you kept pushing and pushing on the singer and uh, as soon as uh, as soon as he kind of kind of got fed up with you kind of chiming in and came back, you looked over at me and you said, now we're going to get some magic, <laughs> you know, because you, you are kind of pushing a bit, yeah. pushing a bit. Uh, uh, and so has your experience um, led you to, hey, you know, if we if we create a little bit of that friction, we'll get a little bit more raw authenticity out of it. Uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's that conscious. I think it's more like. Um, I've done done this so much and that my passion is getting the best thing I think I can get, right? Mm -hmm. In so, a two-hour window. But even in a, even if it's a two-week window, gotcha. whatever the project okay. is, you want to get the best you can get, right? Yes. <clears throat> so when I hear somebody sing, and I've heard a million singers, yeah. and so my ear has been trained and trained and trained. You hear somebody, you're like, oh, they're good, they're good. And then you hear one line that's ridiculously good because of mm -hmm. some subtle change in the way they phrased a vowel or did a vibrato in a particular place. And you're like, Oh, Oh, that's, you can do that too. Now that, I'm going to push you a little harder in some spots where you're being really lazy. I don't say that to them necessarily, yes. but that's the thing I feel immediately. Like, oh, okay. I can see where you can go and you, you stay safe, especially on TV, especially when we're doing something in front oh, of people, yes. you're going to stay in your wheelhouse. And so I don't want to embarrass someone or push them to a place where now we, we fall down because we argue and it doesn't work. That's not my goal. Yeah. But uh, I, I'm experienced enough in, to, to recognize how hard I can lean on you mm -hmm. to get out of you what I know is in there without us without it becoming, yes, you can. That is Fuck so true. you. I'm not going to. You know, we don't, yeah. That's no point in us getting there. No. 
Um, now, if you have two weeks to make a record, sometimes that is where you have to go to get people to give you can the, the trust that you know what can be done and that you know where they can go mm-hmm. and for them to let you take them there. In this two-hour window, it's incredible how much people come with me. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. And so it's a lot of fun to watch these things come it's together. It's big. You made a good point is, is the cameras. The cameras are going to... Make somebody behave in a certain way. Oh, there's cameras on me. This is gonna be on Amazon and Roku. Okay, I'm gonna, you know, just stay in my little pocket here. Or I can't get as mad as I want to. Yeah, that. Or I can't. I don't want to experiment. I don't want to. You know, let me just do what's kind of tried and tested that I've done before. And you're looking for no. Give me some magic. Yeah. Give me some magic. And you see, as much as they they want to stay in a safe space, they also don't want to be seen as saying no. I'm not gonna try that. That's true. So so. In a real environment that's, or like I say, a two-week project where we're not webcasting it live, I'll get much more resistance from the artist because they're like, no, I don't want to. Because there's no reason to follow me yeah. until they trust in my vision. Yeah. But when they're on camera to then not follow me, it's like, oh, you're not going to follow me? Yeah. Do you know who I am? Yeah, I don't have to say it. It's kind of like I've been doing this for 40 years. I have golden platinum records everywhere, and you're not <laughs> even going to try that note? Okay, don't. Yeah. yeah. That's fine. So what's funny is people tend they tend to follow me more, uh, which I, I was like, fascinating. I should have put all my sessions on camera back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> they do what I tell them. They're afraid not to. Yeah, because now so. you're in the moment, and then you don't want to be seen as like, well, why didn't you? Why didn't you try yeah, it? Like you're on look, his show. Yeah, they didn't want to look bad, and they and yeah. you know. So it's, I, I find that's that's one of the coolest things for me is that, um, I know they're coming with me, and I know I'm, I'm responsible for that, and I always make them land in a great place, but uh, I don't have to fight so hard to get them to take flight. You yeah. Know? Yeah, it was very welcoming, um, you know, what you have going on here. Yeah. You know, coming in, you have very good personality, very good yeah. attitude, and your 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 love and passion for music and creativity, I mean, it, it just it shines. So it's definitely a, a very, very fun, um, enjoyable to, to watch and be a part of. I mean, being a part of this was, I've never done anything like this. Yeah. So I encourage every band, like reach out to your agents, producers, like do what you can to be a part of this. Yeah, come on the show. I mean, we just had a band drive out from Long Island uh, about two weeks ago. Right now we're doing one a month. We've got a band coming from Washington, D.C. Yeah. Uh, in September. So we're still looking for our October band. We're still looking for our November band. Just like yeah. I say, we're just doing one a month while we're editing season two for TV. Yeah, we've got a couple of bands out of Denver that have expressed interest in being on the show. So, you know, come from anywhere if you can get here. <laughs> we're a little show. We're not paying to fly anybody in. Yeah, but if you can get here, you know, I'll I'll have a drum set for you and some amps. So. Yeah, here you go. But the experience, even uh, for us, we had a a one on one masterclass on a tambourine. Yeah. from you, <laughs> which I never. I was like, oh, a tambourine, yeah, cool. Like, just grab it. We'll just shake it, and you know, we gave it to our drummer, and he was kind of like, uh. Uh, I'm like, well, hold on. You're the drummer. Like, shouldn't you? And he had no idea where to go with it. Yeah. And we proceeded to get like a, you know, eight to nine minute masterclass from you on this is how you want to hold it. This is where you want to hit it. And, and I was like, I, I went the next day I was, I was at my work at Guitar Center. I'm just like looking at tambourines. I was like, I need a tambourine now. <laughs> they looked all different, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. Uh, they really did. That's funny that you say that because, um, there are two things I learned early on in the studio that everybody thinks are easy. So they say, well, we'll just do this. And they're both very difficult. And yeah. that's playing tambourine right and well so that it works on the track and singing ooze. Yeah. 
Oof. Everybody thinks, oh, we're just sing a bunch of oohs. I'm like, oh, no, don't do that. You guys are not good enough to even think of that. Yeah. You know, can we not do oohs? Um, so that's one. But the tambourine thing is, is funny because I have then, even with oohs, I guess, but on a lot of records that I was producing, I played the tambourine. I'm like, don't worry, I'll, we'll have a t- I'll have a tambourine on there. I'll do this, I'll do that. Cause I, and I've played tambourine on a lot of records because yeah. once you know what you're doing and how to manipulate it, you're not just banging it, then you know you can do it. And if you haven't played with the tambourine with that focus of control, it's like any other instrument. Play violin without great articulation and you're just going to squeak a lot. Yeah. And some players can go, oh, well, I squeaked a couple notes. That's part of violin. It's like, no, not, not really. It's part of average violin. Yeah, right. But uh, anybody, when they get really good at that technical part of what they play, it's breathtaking to watch them play their instrument. Yeah, because you recognize there's there's so much nuance, uh, angle, uh, attack, like all of that, that when they say tone is in the fingers, it really is in the fingers when it comes to just anything, really. It's all in how you manipulate it. Yeah, and people don't, uh, people who don't understand that can't imagine it's true. They think it's like a story. They're like, no, I just need this new tool. This new tool will give me exactly what I need, this new toy, this new compressor, this new rack piece. Like, no. And, And the measure is while they're sitting there thinking that, Give that instrument to somebody else and now watch them play it. Yeah. And you're like, it can do that? Yeah, it can. Dude, we had we used to have a guitar uh, a guitarist for uh, the Phoenix Orchestra or one one of the I forget which one it was. It was it was he was very prestigious. Right. Uh, this little Asian man would come in and he would grab the mini Squire Stratocaster in pink, sit right at the front of the store, and play the craziest craziest scales and melodic you know sounding uh guitar sounds and everybody would just do triple takes or like is he really playing a pink little guitar he's like yeah and it sounds great because he's played this instrument for so many hours yes yeah it's the truth it's the same thing i think for brass players the tone we talk about it's in the fingers it's in the lips it's in how you play the horn and i learned that again really early i was a kid in grade school playing trumpet and I was complaining. We had a jazz teacher, and he he wrote a jazz version of Jingle Bells for us, you know, mm. for the band. For the band. <clears throat> and I was complaining about my in practice that my valve was sticking a little bit, you know, and that's why I was not doing well. So he took my trumpet from me, and he played Flight of the Bumblebee on it. Oh man! And he gave it back, and he goes, "Yeah, it's sticking a little." <laughs> and I was like, "But it did that." So I don't think it's taking too much for me to play my half notes and whole notes here yeah. in Jingle Bells, you know. Yeah. Uh, it was just funny to watch because it was like, my horn can do that. And that right. really makes you recognize that it's all about you. Yeah. And I learned that in the studio. I was at a recording studio in the early 80s where I had been for five years. And I thought, this place is holding me back. I've been an engineer for five years. Yeah. And I need better gear. And I need better rooms. And I need and I need. And so uh, about that time, the owner, it was near Nashville. So the owner brought up. All the top guys, session guys, and top engineers and producers, Billy Sherrill, everybody, to cut some songs for his publishing company. In my studios, the ones I call mine, the one I worked in, on my console, you know. And yeah, they might have brought a couple more microphones. Yeah. Uh, and they let us come in and everybody got to come in for a few minutes and listen and leave. And I swear to God, I'd never seen anything like, number one, session players playing a record as opposed to some local band. That was my first vision of that, experience of that. Yeah. But I walked out. Uh, maybe not be even being aware of how much of it was the players, I walked out going, that sounded like a record. As soon as they hit the first beat, it sounded like a record. Mm. That happened in my room, on yeah. my gear. So 
it's not holding me back. Yeah. It's me. It's you. Yeah. Wow. And it was more than just me. It was me and all of them. Everybody involved raised it to that level. But at my beginning point, at least I learned that valuable lesson that the gear wasn't the problem. You know? It's the know-how. Yeah. you got, And people say you have to train your ears, and that's the absolute truth. You can't do something you can't hear. There's no shortcut you know? for that. You know, no, you, you just have you to listen. You literally have to put in the hours. Yeah. Yeah, you really have to listen, and and it helps when someone can, can show you the the focus and the difference. For example, when when drummers are playing yeah. and they think they're really good, I've dealt with drummers who think they're really really good, and by my standard of what I would need in a session, they're really really bad, and they're mm. like, yeah, but I can play all these different beats, and I'm saying, yeah, out of time, yeah, and they're like, no, they're they're in time, and it's like, well. You and I have a different definition of what time is. <laughs> How is that possible? But exactly. I get it, I get so it, then yeah, I'll yeah. say, okay, well, let's record you on, record you for a second, and you put a, a click track up, which they mm-hmm. don't even know what that is. Yeah. But it's a metronome that shows time. And then then you stop, and you, with this tool that is Pro Tools, where you get a digital or visual representation of each sound, yeah. you can see how closely it landed near the click, which is where on the beat, which is where they're supposed to play. Mm-hmm. Kick drum, snare drum, kick drum. And you can see. So to show them, here's what a good drummer looks like. And it's all right on the beat. Now they have all these beats they can play, but they always play them in time. Whereas you're running around like a drunken sailor, heading toward the click track and crossing and heading back toward the click track and crossing. And so, yeah, you're playing the beat and you play it from start to end. You end it in the right amount of time. So you're playing it in the time allotted, but you're not playing it. In, in time, time, you know, and so to show them visually that if I scooch this over a little, now do you hear the difference? Like, oh my gosh, I can hear it. Because if you can't hear it, you can't do it. You exactly. And I think that tool really helps people go, oh, I wasn't listening that close. I didn't know what you meant. Mm-hmm. Well, now you do. Now listen that close. And that's it's the same thing with bending guitar strings. Everybody can bend a string, but how you the pace of the beginning spot and the ending spot of the bend whether you go fast or go slow or change the pace at which you're going has a completely different emotional component. Yeah. And somebody who's not paying attention is just going to bend it and it's just going to sound wrong for the moment. That's not the way that should have mm-hmm. been. Um, so it's once you start to hear that, you know, that's, it makes a big difference. In fact, I have told people that I put my guitar down for, I don't know, 15 years at one point and just made records with people. And when I picked it back up, cause I was going to make my own record, I was a better guitar player. Yeah, and I thought, how is this possible? I'm playing lead lines that and that are expressive and sound right. It's because in my head now I knew what I wanted to hear, and I made my fingers make the sound I wanted. Yeah. Whereas before I was just playing what I thought I wanted to play and not listening and like that. That's a part of visualization. Is mm-hmm. in in your mind you were visualizing what you wanted it to be, and that helps as well. So like yeah. visualizing where you want to be, what you want to accomplish what you want it to sound like cuz again that's part of being able to see it so if you can't yeah. even see it then you you're not going you're never going to yeah. nail it so if you can envision it then it's easier to be able to replicate it as well otherwise uh, other than just saying well I'll just never do it you know I can't yeah. do it you that's know? the truth man that's totally the truth yeah so what was your first venture into like music where you were like I really love music and I'm going to make a, make it a career Playing in bands, you know, mm-hmm. um, I played in a trumpet in grade school. I'd listened to records and loved records, but um, that didn't, I didn't equate that to being, to, to it being something you could do. Yeah. And then um, I think I was probably 16 when my, my best friend started a band. 
uh, and I wasn't invited because I didn't have a guitar, right? <laughs> so I'm like, he's. Just, I, I was kind of mad at him that he started a band without me. It's like, well, you can be in it. You just need a guitar. <laughs> so, so I did, uh, actually for Christmas. And then um, my first gig, I, my first gig with him, they were playing at a retreat, like an all girls Christian retreat for the weekend. It was going to end with a little concert by his little band, right? Because the parents and everybody knew everybody, and it's all just a neighborhood thing. Yeah. And so he asked me if I wanted to be in that band and play that show. So I had like a, a week to learn their songs, mm-hmm. a bunch of cover songs like Led Zeppelin, whatever, just stuff of the day. Gotcha. And so uh, the funny thing was they didn't want the girls to, because the, the band needed to practice in the little building where they're going to play out uh-huh. here at this retreat space in the woods. Yeah. And so they decided they didn't want the guys to show up in the middle of it all and, and ruin the surprise. So they wanted them to stay the whole weekend as participants in this thing so the girls wouldn't I'm like really fine (laughs) so the four of us got to spend the weekend at this weekend retreat all girl retreat yeah uh, just so we could be the band and it wouldn't be a surprise right so we got to sneak off at certain times when they were doing things to rehearse over there in the space Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so here's how funny the rehearsal was the guy you know my buddy says we're gonna play communication breakdown by Led Zeppelin ADA and I'm like what do you mean ADA I don't know what that means he goes those are the chords Chords? What are chords? I mean, I just got a guitar. <laughs> you know, he had to tune it for me. Oh shit! So he says, "Okay, you just play lead." Okay, great. In other words, I had to memorize on every song in a few rehearsals which frets I could play on which strings and which songs, and which ones that were bad. Yeah, and that's what I did. I just, which is, I mean, I'm sure it was the worst thing anyone ever heard. Oh my god! But that was my introduction to it, and then playing in for them the night that we played or the afternoon we played our six songs or whatever. It was funny because you, I'd play a high note and a couple of girls would scream or something. Mm-hmm. And then you go, you're kidding. And you do it again. And they would again, something about, wow, the high note thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I remember going home, telling my little brother, I know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Ooh. And it was that performing on stage thing. Yeah. Even on that little environment. Just that, that. Oh, man, that sucked me in. I started bands, played in bands. I mean, six guys in a van driving all over the Midwest for splitting 20 bucks after the end of the gig you know <laughs> yeah oh yeah uh for years and years and years and uh recently the last half a dozen years i've been on stage a bunch again and uh can't believe i ever quit performing it's just there's nothing there's nothing more fun was there a moment where y- you were performing and you 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 said to yourself you're like i'm, I'm done performing like no no so, so when you took your breaks, it was outside, kind of outside of your. Yeah, I think, um, for example, I, I was grew up in Illinois, so mm-hmm. I was about twenty three when I left town, twenty two, twenty three, mm-hmm. and so I had I was in bands until then. Well, when I left, I went to teach at a recording school, and I didn't know anyone there in terms of putting a band together. Yeah, and now I had a full time job in a different place, um, <clears throat> and I really got into recording. And as I started to do that, I discovered that most everybody was a better musician than me yeah. in terms of the people I was running into. They yeah. were they'd spent more time getting more serious. And I thought, wow, I'll let them play on my songs. I would write songs, but let everybody else play. So I, mm. that's really when I put my guitar down. And so um, there was no band to go play. There was no reason to go play. I was really getting that live uh, element vicariously through all of the people I was working with. And so... Really, I just started producing records and, and uh, until somebody asked me to play who knew I was a musician. Gotcha. Um, and this would have been after about 15 years. I had a friend here in Arizona who had a stage every year at the State Fair that she booked for two hours. She was a talent agent. Uh-huh. And she needed someone to take like 15 minutes at the end of one of the days. And would you do it? I'm like, 
seriously? I mean, I haven't played a guitar for ever, but she'd heard a record I had done. Yeah. So I said, I'll do it. I just took the opportunity. So I called some friends, session guys. And yep. I said, Here's, here, I sent them some songs. I said, learn them. We'll rehearse. Well, we can never get together to rehearse. So I rehearsed with the drummer, and I rehearsed with the background singers, and I rehearsed oh, with the keyboard damn. player. And then we all showed up on stage, yeah. and we played the two songs you know, for uh-huh. the first time ever uh, that they'd ever been played in front of 100 people at the state fair, you know, <laughs> walking by. But I can tell you that that day, it was kind of like, oh, it feels good to be back on planet yeah. Earth. To me, there was something, there's something so at home on stage. There's no place I've ever felt more home than on stage. Well, you're really in the moment at that point yeah. where versus when you're in the studio, you're you're preparing for the moment when everybody else gets to yeah. experience it. But when you're on stage, you're you're literally there living it. And then... And then you get to be done with it too, you know. It's 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 uh, I've done, I've performed it, washed my hands, we had a great time. I gave you the best performance I could here at the moment. Versus when you're recording, it's it's the the art piece where yeah. it's like it's never done, right? Yeah, I think that's I think that's there's an aspect that's true there. But in addition to that, <clears throat> for me, I remember uh, even as a young man, twenty twenty one years old, when we would travel town to town, um, I would just want to sit on the stage at the venue until it was time to play. Yeah. I didn't want to go wander around because everywhere you went was just someplace you didn't know or didn't want to be or didn't understand. And yeah. and yet uh, the stage, I just want to play. I just want to just wait right here. I feel better here. I'd rather sleep on the stage and just wait till we get, get back <laughs> to play and then get in the van and go to the next place and find the next stage. So to me, uh, it really the stage really did feel like home. And walking on stage in a show uh, is just... There's just nothing like that. Yeah. You know, and what's funny is now, I mean, this this show we do is a stage in a way. Yeah. But uh, from a performance standpoint, I'm involved in, in three different shows right now. I'd love to play my music out live, but I can get about, you know, 30 people to 10 bucks a head. So I can't even pay the band. You know, I'm out, out of pocket every time I do a show. So that's not a good idea. Yeah, yeah. But um, we, I am involved in a couple cover shows or tribute shows, if you want to call it that. Uh-huh. And one, one that's costumed is a Brooks and Dunn tribute show, which I do very occasionally. Yeah. And in fact, on Friday, I'm flying to Nashville to play at this uh, uh, country club and then flying back on Saturday. And they're, they're paying me a crap load of money to glue a beard on and go sing Brooks and Dunn songs. And there'll be a couple thousand people there. Yeah. And it's a blast. It's just, it's so much fun to perform on stage, especially get paid for it. Heck yeah. You know? And pe- people lose sight of that uh, yeah. to keep it fun. Yeah. Every, I mean, at the everything this day and age needs to be monetized and you should be maximizing it. Right. And it's like, well, well ha- I get it. But what happened to really taking joy and having fun? Yeah. Is, is it still fun? Okay. Yeah. Then there's no argument there for me. Yeah. You know, you got to keep it fun. Cause otherwise it'll, it'll just feel like another job. Right. It'll feel something that's dragging. <clears throat> because what people need to understand is you're spending your time. And another way to put that is you're spending your life. Yeah. And I often ask people, what did you buy today with your life? You know, Ooh. because if you watched a rerun again that you've already seen, if you watch that movie, you've watched four times. That's what you bought because mm-hmm. you, you don't get to spend today again, mm-hmm. you know, and you're just going to buy what you already had yeah. again. Uh, now, and that's just a simplification of it, but I, I feel very uh, responsible or very, um, I try to be very economic with my time. There's nothing more valuable to me than my, the time I have to spend. I'll give you money, but to give you minutes is far harder or more important. If I'm giving you my time, yeah, I'm giving you something. Yeah, you know? exactly. Exactly. And, and I think the older we get, yeah, you know, we, we definitely it's, realize yeah. that it's like, Oh my gosh, 
Yeah. It, but hurry up. Exactly. You're going to, you want what, how much of me, when, where? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I had a friend ask me to uh, review uh, like three hours of content they created just to get, and just make notes and give them feedback. I'm like, sorry. <laughs> love you, but I don't have three hours to do that for you. Yeah, yeah. It's your thing. Make it. Yeah. You know, and, and, or, I mean, I just don't have that kind of time to, just do. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, we were talking about before we got going, what you have, your editing and, and editing, people don't realize that, you know, cause people will, will be like, Oh, they're just a, a YouTuber or a TikToker or something like that. That's creating online content. When you're editing stuff yeah. like that, that takes an ungodly amount of time. I have, yeah. I have video from my Grand Canyon hike last September that I still haven't got around to editing yeah. because it's just so time consuming. Yeah. And it's just, it just sits there and I'm just like, people just don't realize what it takes to be, uh, to, to, to have a show, to have an online presence like that where you're, you're actively creating and editing something together. Yeah. It's very time consuming. It really is. Do you have a favorite editing platform? <laughs> no, just whatever's free. I've been using VideoPad. That's what I use. Okay. It's, it's just free. Cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, what do you use? Like I use DaVinci Resolve, uh -huh. and I started because it was free. Yeah. You know, same thing. And then it's only a few hundred dollars to buy the thing, and then you have the full-blown oh. version. But uh, I just fell in love with it, use it for everything I do. Really? I'll have to yeah. look into it then. That's pretty yeah. cool. Because the one I have is... is I would imagine it's a little limited, but I don't do anything crazy like you either. Right. You know, I mean, the most of what I'm doing is, is I use it for the podcast, which is literally here's a here's a clean intro. Here's a clean outro and everything else in between yeah. is pretty much laid as is. You know, it's. it's yeah. It's for unedited. me to do the 30 minute television show, I probably spend 80 hours editing an episode. Oh <laughs> I mean, it's God. it's nuts. <laughs> it's nuts. Yeah, but it's, it's it's you you can tell it it's quality. The the passion is there. Yeah, your your members and your subscribers are very adamant to tune in every yeah. week and and give you their feedback because mm -hmm. that's one thing that you do. You, you acknowledge them and and when they're bringing something to you and you, you take advice as well. And that's gotta feel good for for somebody to be like, I gave Otto a suggestion and he took it. Yeah, and now I I, I had a help. A hand in this song yeah it's cool because when bands let us know that they're actually releasing those records we turn around and let our members know hey this record you helped make is coming out now go spin it on spotify yeah. go check it out go to the website and buy the content you know um because they want they've never made records before and as members of this website they're all kind of helping make records and so they're they're involved intimately involved and i've had a number of members uh, who have said you know, I never would have listened to that kind of music, but yeah. now that I've watched that record be put yeah. together, I want to buy it. Yes. It's there. They understand yeah. the process and the people and that and completely changes it. what they're, yeah, what they're hearing. Yeah. I'm the, I'm the same when, when it comes to like genres of music that I wouldn't otherwise listen to. If I mm -hmm. see it live, I have a greater appreciation yeah. for it because you're, you're, you're watching it being produced by another human you know, right in front of you. When you see it being recorded, that's another level because then you see the mind, you see the the cogs, you know, kind of spinning, and and it gives you a different window into that, so you can better understand and be like, well, maybe I'm still not the biggest fan of that music, but you know what, I have a different appreciation for the people that are making it and and that genre, and if anything, maybe just this band mm -hmm. in general. Um, you're familiar with Snailmate? Yeah. Yeah. Same. Certainly, that's that's the man. My main one I always bring up. I would never listen to that. Go out of my way, you know. Before I saw them live, right? You see them live, 
another just level of respect it's just two guys coming out here making some crazy music and having fun again having fun and really from when it comes to the entertainment content you want to have fun people Mm -hmm. typically are there to be entertained or to have fun they want to participate in something that's fun you know it's a big big part of it it's a huge part i i I, everybody's trying to escape. Yeah. <laughs> They're trying to escape their own daily lives and it's like... <laughs> they got that enough yeah. going on. That's why I try to explain to bands when we do the television show. We do the live webcast and it's like, we have two hours to cut this record. And, you know, sometimes people are nervous, sometimes they aren't. And I, I tell them, look, if we don't get the record done, it doesn't really matter because that's not the part people are going to like. If you guys are great and you nail this in 10 minutes, we just ruin the whole show. Yeah. Because it's really about personality and process. That's what they like. They want to get to know you. They want to see you struggle. They want to see you achieve. They want to see you win. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they want to cheer with you in the end. They're, they want to buy yeah. into your experience and have you take them someplace. So the show is more about the conversations in between and the things that are funny and the things that we're a little weirder. Or I had a, I had a guitar player. You'll see in episode one, which should be out shortly for season two. He was a great guitar player. He played a great first pass. And I'm excited because I can tell as a technician, he's really good. So I'm thinking, oh, I can really push him around. But what I didn't know is, no, he doesn't want to be pushed around. And so I'm giving him all these props. Hey, man, you're really great. It's going to be fun. I can't wait till we get to the guitar part. So we come back to the guitar solo. And I'm like, okay, cool. I want you to play the guitar solos. He goes, I already played them. So I know you did. I want you to play them again. I already played them. I need to play them. I said, no. I know you already played it. And so we got that. So let's play him again. And we got into this conversation live online where he was like, um, he, did, he goes, I don't like being told to do it again. And, and I was like, told? I'm inviting you to play yeah. guitar. Yeah, exactly. I'm inviting you to play again. You mean to tell me that with everything you do, there's, do you play this the same every night? He goes, no, I play it different every night. So you've already got 40 solos to this song. Play me another solo. Shut up. And I turned around and I hit record, you know. And he played. And he played a bunch of them. And they were great. Um, and then he went through this energetic experience where he felt like he was being put out because he was trying to be the cool him and I was pushing him out of his comfort level and he wasn't comfortable. Mm-hmm, but once mm-hmm. I pushed him over anyway, mm-hmm. then got something great out of him. Then he felt bad that he was such a stick in the mud. So then he was like, man, that was great. I'm really glad you had me. And he was apologizing. And it's like, shut up. We're just, this is what we do. We make something great. We're just trying to make something great. Yeah. And if I tell you it's great, I don't want anything else. I'm the final word. I'm the guy in charge. I'm the producer. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. is my fault and my responsibility mm-hmm. to make this thing the best I can make it. And in this case, in the time frame we have, yeah. you know. So um, that's the that was the most interesting one. Where uh, a fan was watching in New York, who knew the band and had never seen the show, and he was laughing because he assumed. I would have a problem with this guy. Uh-huh. And so then when he started to see it happen, he was like, oh, no, I knew this was going to happen. And then when he saw it go okay and everything go down, he was like, wow. He handled the personalities. He handled the band. He handled the arrangement. He handled it. He was just blown away. The guy calls me afterwards. I had never met him. And we had a 30-minute conversation. He convinced me to fly out to New York to meet with him because he had some ideas he would talk about. And I'm like, okay, well, let's go. Uh, in fact, that was a year ago. Yeah. And um, at the end of this month, we're going back to New York again. He's throwing a big bash, big party. Very and cool. we're just going to go out and hang out. And that band is playing that party. Oh, nice. You know, so it's funny the relationships you build, you know, with yeah. people. But but uh, the show is really draws people in who are intellectual or into process. It's Our membership audience is primarily uh, professional individuals. 
Yeah, you were, I was going to ask you about that because I remember you mentioned that the last you time. Know, I thought it would be a bunch of kids who like music, and it's like, no, that that's a little bit more of the television audience. People yeah. just want to watch music or be entertained by a musical experience. But these guys who are the members who are there all the time, they're accountants, they own their own business. They're, this one gentleman is a, you know, a retired stockbroker. You know, another guy owns his own company that builds drones. And, yeah. and um, <clears throat> it's just they're involved. They can't believe that a bunch of musicians – can come in a room, not know what they're going to do. And in two hours, it always sounds like a record. So they're just impressed with that, that process, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, too, all of us uh, built in, we, we prejudge everyone we meet. When, when we of see course. somebody, it's like, okay, I know 10 people in my life that look like you, so I know who you are. I know what you're like. Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. some sort of prejudge, right? Yeah. So let me take a real conservative person who's a professional, successful, who's never been in the arts, but they like music. And they see some of the crazy guys in the arts world that come in here. Yeah. And you know, oh, this guy's a loser or this guy can't be any good. Or, mm -hmm. or, and then you hear them discuss intellectually the, the, the purpose and... of the, uh, where the song came from and why yeah. it matters to them and, and, and why they're defending their role when I'm trying to modify it or something. And you're like, oh, my God, I had no idea that you could be this deep in this process. Yeah. So it's, they're fascinated by that education and by that process and by the personalities. That's that's really what it's all about. The music is kind of like just a cool little wafer we serve that on. Exactly, because you know? music, there, there's three things in culture, I think, that can bridge just about any gap. And uh, it's music, food, and, and sports. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we can You can go to any country and dive into that, and you'll, you'll be able to just be in the community with them as long as you, it's, you embrace it. And I think it, it can transcend a yeah. lot of different cultures and, and barriers that are there. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a big unifier, music is. I, I think mo most everybody can agree to that. I mean, you get discussions where people, oh, I hate this type of music or that type of music. But at the, at the end of the day, I think you can see have common ground. And especially if you see it performed live. Um, and again, more so with, with mm -hmm. the show that you have here, which is the behind the scenes, which is awesome. Well, and the thing, you know, you talk about it being a unifier and people go, well, I don't like that music. Well, the, I don't like bad music. In other words, <laughs> I love great country records. Yeah. I love great rap records. Yes. I love great metal records. Yeah. Now, since metal, rap, and country aren't my first place to be as a listener or as a songwriting, songwriting creator, um, you start the farther you get from incredibly great, the less interested I am. Yeah. Uh, but when you do really get to to the great stuff, it's undeniably wonderful. That's true. It, you know, like in every style. <clears throat> so it is. It does unify. You know, in that way. But I mean, there's nothing like rhythm. We are heartbeats. You know, there's there's nothing like rhythm to draw people together. Yeah, it really is. And and good good point where you bring it up because you do you get a a different caliber of artists in here, all walks of life looks and all that and and we do we do prejudge we we say oh i've i've seen a person like this before or i know what this person is all about yeah and and i i for one do do like to pride myself in, in proving people wrong right and and thinking that we we can have uh conversations that you otherwise thought were out of the question when right. you first saw me right and then it's like oh no you you, you got some depth to you you got some understanding and i think i, I just try to view stuff from from an open mind on how I can learn from this person because I think every person has something to teach you whether it's they're going to actively teach you or they're going to uh, um, uh, subconsciously 
by like, well, I definitely don't want to do what that guy's doing or right. be, be how they are, right. you know? And now I'm learning from that just, just from the interaction right. and, and, and having a moment to maybe see what they're, hey, let me peel it back a couple layers, see if there is something under yeah. there. And, and sometimes there isn't in that moment and, but we still learn, I still learn from it. I, yeah. I choose to try and see everything from that angle and. Oh, hopefully it makes me a better person yeah. for it. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you, man. You know, we all we all live our own paths, and we all, and we all grow up, yeah. and change, and uh, you know, hopefully for the better. But I think that too, when when people um, are are achievers, and they they always did the right thing, and they worked hard, and they played by the rules. Yeah, uh, they didn't meet or deal with a lot of people that were anti-establishment or didn't play by the rules, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. basically is everyone who ever became a professional musician. Yeah, all of those people said, "Screw it, I'm not going to go to school. I'm going to get join this band. We're just going to go on the road in a van." Yeah, and the next ten years formed their life, where maybe then then they became a little more aware of their responsibility to their own financial future and maybe they got a job or maybe they did whatever but i'm just saying that they went a completely different path mm-hmm. and so you you go with different people you take on you always look like your community looks every you know you can tell just by the tempe crowd looks this way the scottsdale crowd looks this way we do that <laughs> yeah you know we gravitate to where we like and we and, and we take it on in a sense so then when we have members who are watching people that they've never come across or they haven't hung out with yeah you know, I think that's the fun is in showing them, look who these people are. You know, look what you missed. It's a little fish fish tank. like Yeah, yeah. and it's kind of like um, we've lived, I've lived in this world of creative people slash business people my whole life because I got into music. But my father had a construction company. I worked for him, so I had got this business sense. And I ran my bands. I ran the business side of it. And then getting to the recording studio business early, I always had the business side, being involved with the studios. Mm-hmm. But the band and artist side being involved with the bands. Um, and I think that it helped me become, as a producer engineer, the guy who can sit in the boardroom with the record company guys and then go back and sit in the band, room with the band, where you can't put the two of them together. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get anything done. <laughs> you know, it's like, look, I speak band. I speak board. Okay? Yes, yes. So let me, let me do, deal with this. And I, and I think that that's part of what works on the show is that I, I'm a broadcast podcaster, so I can sit here and talk to the audience, and I can sit here and talk to the band, and I can manage the session and the time and the process all at the same time. So I feel energized when we do the show. I feel like everything I do is being utilized. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whereas in a regular recording session, I feel like I'm just sitting there spinning my thumbs, because you know, all I'm doing is hitting the space bar and hitting the space bar. Oh, man. You know, waiting to be told, yeah, hit record again, we're ready. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that is that is the benefit of, of operating the way you are here for sure. I'm in your forty years, you must have gone through so much of just yeah. like just drudge, right? Well, yeah, I think you know, I I had a big fancy studio in Phoenix for for fifteen years, and when you have a public room, you have to take whoever calls you and books the space. Yeah, you know, versus when you don't have a public room. You, you only take work when somebody calls you and asks you if you want to do something. And yeah. you're like, I'll do it. Where are we going to do it? Mm-hmm. Are you going to find a studio we can do that? Or, or you know, I'll do that at my house. It'll yeah. work in that space, you know? So I think that's that's a much, uh, you know, happier place to be. Yeah, for sure. Um, otherwise, you are just, you are a tool like the gear is. And so, yeah. um, <clears throat> you, you, which can be good, can be bad. I mean, I, I the good thing about that is having a big fancy room uh, is probably how I had the opportunity to do a few records that get, earned me platinum albums because mm. those big artists weren't looking for me, but they were looking for a room. 
Gotcha. And I had a big room that would work for them, so they came in and did their big record. Yeah, yeah. And I got to be the engineer because it was my space, and so then I get a platinum record because I worked on the project. The real key is that then they keep coming back to you for you, uh, and then that's the good part, you know. That's where the relationships are so important because in this business, um, I would say everything that came to me was because somebody pulled me into the room. Oh, like, really? Like, yeah. oh my gosh, I, I get that record. Well, I got this guy who's going to do it. Yeah, yeah. You know, in fact, a buddy of mine is the drummer for Earth, Wind, and Fire. It's been for years. He was in my studio the day he got the gig. And they were just wrapping up, uh, or after that tour they were on, they went into the studio to make a record and they hadn't cut drums on a couple. So they asked him if he'd play drums on the last couple tunes oh. as their new drummer. And he said, yeah, can I? Can my engineer cut the drums? And I'm yeah. thinking, John, they got a guy, I'm sure, you know. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. uh, they kind of laughed at him and said no. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> they got a guy. But the fact that I had tracked drums with him on a number of projects and he loved it all the time. He loved the experience and the sound. He really wanted me to do it. Yeah. And so it's that kind of thing. I didn't land in that door, but I got pulled through so many other doors in that kind of a situation, you know, it's all relationships. Yeah. It, it, it really is. Um, that's what I experienced with my venture in, in the, uh, the band I was in with Alex and Metropolis, man. That was, uh, yeah, it was, it, you create these relationships and they lead to so many other ventures as long as you're open to them. Yeah. You know, if you go in with your mind, well, like this is exactly what I'm looking for. And if it doesn't play out this way, then, you know, it was a lost cause or I, I I'm, I'm blind to everything else that could happen because I'm so focused on this one thing on how I have it envisioned to play out. That's not how it works. Yeah. Man. I, I think you're setting yourself up for failure if we mm -hmm. if we look at everything like that. And I've just welcomed everything that's come come along my way. Because at the end of the day, we're, we're here for the human experience. And I think that's what people are tuning in for. They're, they're tuning in for the human right. experience of these artists that are performing, you know, these songs. And they're in bands. And well, what, how do those dynamics really work? Yeah. And you mentioned that you have an interest in long form entertainment that does mm -hmm. dive in a little bit mm -hmm. um to me i think i guess my experience is i don't hear a lot of people say that mm -hmm. so do you think that's something that is a more of an age thing or is it why why are you or people like you whether it's your age or it's what your business why is long form entertainment the thing that really draw, draws you in because well, there is everyone's add it seems like we're being yeah. told shorter 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 yeah, everybody everybody has has that in them where it's like you just shorter shorter. I've I've just never gravitated towards that. Like when Vine was big, didn't really care for it. Um, I just to me details matter and that because I guess I'm very analytical and try to view everything with as much logic and reason that I can kind of grasp. And that way I can I can better maybe describe my own ideas to somebody else when they ask me. Like I want to be prepared in that sense of like, well, why why do you think this way? And I'm like, well, here here's this and this. And then maybe they can pick my idea apart and be like, well, did you think about this? And right. then I can basically just add. It's like another layer of clay onto the sculpture, yeah. right? And it's like, oh no, I didn't. You Let captured me layer another in. shadow. Yeah, you captured another shadow. It's it's totally. And I get goosebumps. I mean, look at this. Like it's. Yeah. Uh, I get goosebumps from from witnessing uh, greatness and passion, and that's just awe inspiring to me. Just to hear somebody speak very passionately about um, their idea and 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 putting it in motion. I mean, mm -hmm. there's 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 cokeheads that do that too, but 
<laughs> yeah, and you know, you, you made you made an interesting point there too. You said uh, they're passionate and talking about what they want to do, and then putting it into motion. Yeah. I can tell you that um, uh, when I got into the local film community, that I heard repeatedly from so many people, they were shocked to actually finish the film because they said everyone talks about making a movie, but they never do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do what you say, and I thought, yeah, I do. That's why I say it. When I say it. I'm going to do something, it's because I said oh, I'm, it's because I want to do it. I don't, that is my my biggest thing is my word. Yeah, and so the recording artist is something I said I'm going to do, and people are like, whatever, and then you do it, and they're like, wow, you're really doing how it. Did, how did you do it? You remember when I said what I was going to yeah. do, and yeah, I just went and did it. Yeah, yeah that's what I do. What I say I'm going to do. That's why I said it. I so I've never really related to the people who just talk a big dream. Uh, when I said when I say I'm going to do something, it's because I'm going to do it. Yeah, uh, follow follow through is the big thing for me. Like if if I say I'm going to be somewhere, I'm going to do something. Like I'm in my mind, I was like, well, that's what I have to do because <laughs> I've I've said it, I've spoke right. it out right. in, into the ether, and uh, I welcome everything that comes with it. You know, the 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 trouble of going through and following through something that you that you said you would. You know, when when other things arise that mm-hmm. might drag you elsewhere you got you got to follow through because at the end of the day it's just it's just our word Mm -hmm. it's our word and that's why i try to be selective about what i'm doing but i try to say yes first yes but let me get back to you yes but also let me get back to you yes because i i i i'm very as much for uh adventure and experience and all that and i don't know man i haven't seen enough of the world yet so I'm, i'm 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 trying to trying to get out there cool how much of the world uh, have you seen? None. None. none, <laughs> none. none. I've been to Mexico. I've been to Chicago and St. Louis, and that's you know, and and the West Coast. That's cool. That's about it. I, I want I want to do I want to do a, a heck of a lot more. Yeah. Um, you got to come out me count come out and see me do some stand up comedy. That's you know what? what? I've seen some posts online. I absolutely do. <laughs> I, I was listening to this one bit you were doing. I thought it was freaking hilarious. The bit about the guy who assumed you had a side gig, you know, doing lawn work. Lawn yeah. work. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought that, I thought that's freaking hilarious. And then I assume that it came from some place of truth. Yeah, You've, it all does. Yeah, that's know? the thing about um, so stereotypes and um, what's another word, but just just assumptions. I mean, all the generalizations and stereotypes yeah. they exist for a reason. Yeah, but you're not supposed to because again, I, I like to prove stuff wrong, right? And labels, but they exist for a reason, and that's because it's it's very easy for us to just be like, oh, that person. Okay, I I just labeled them. I'm good. <clears throat> Let's talk about stand up comic. Yeah, comedy. Um, I always thought I would try that. I always thought I'd be a comic. But Come what's out. funny, Come out. maybe, but what's funny is uh, entertaining and being funny was something I've always loved doing. I think we do a lot of that on the show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'm always having a good time. I'm always laughing. We're, we're always just entertaining and laughing at anything that's funny. When you're a stand-up comic and you're on that stage and there's you don't have a guitar in front of you, you yeah. don't have three minutes where you're safe because you're playing a song and there's yeah, not, you're and they can't do much. The right? Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, extremely vulnerable. Uh, I've always thought that it's got to be one of the most difficult things to number one do well and consistently and or feel you did well and feel mm-hmm. you get that response that works mm-hmm. and to uh, get people motivated. Like for example, uh, when I go to a, a show. Yeah. There's a lot of things you can do with your time. Yes. And if you choose to go see a comedy show, you're wondering when you get there, I wonder if these guys are really going to be funny, right? Exactly. And and if they aren't, you've wasted your time. Mm-hmm. And so the nice thing about a comic is that 
Jokes aren't four minutes long. I don't have to wait 20 minutes to find out this band's really bad. I'm going to give you three jokes. Yeah. And know I'm out of here before I wasted my night. So you get one. And if I don't laugh, I'm getting it. I'm not worried yet. And you give me another one. And I don't laugh. I go, oh, no, is this guy not funny? Yeah, 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 yeah. Should we leave now, honey? You know? And then the third, you got about till the third joke to get him to open up, loosen up a little. I mean, do you find that that's true? That if you don't have him in that first yeah. 90 seconds to two minutes that you um, just can't get him to come with you? So, so I'm equating uh, hitting open mic spots uh, a lot like playing golf. You, you play golf? I have played golf. So you can play the same course every day of the week right. and play completely. Have seven different scores each day, and that's what I e- equate to these open mic spots. Um, <laughs> also, where they're held. So you you play a show, right? And they want you as just back ambient music. You you can't go there and perform your set, right? <laughs> Then you have actual venues where you go and they're, it's, they're there for a rock show. So you're going to rock out and you're going to kick them in the face. So there's, there's the bars where people are drinking. And oh, there's comedy over here. Then there's the venues that open up their, their, during the week, you know, when they don't have big shows booked. That like, hey, we're here for some jokes and there's some drinks. So you get this weird dynamic of drunk people not really here to hear jokes, but you better make them laugh. Right. Versus people there, I'm here for a show. Yeah, I'm I'm willing to laugh. I right. want to laugh. Entertain, you know, entertain me. me. You yeah. know. So they they operate completely differently. Um. And and what I'm trying to get to is you need to kill on the worst stages first. You need to get as many laughs as you can because if it's hitting there, then it's just going to hit that much harder in front of what we were saying actual crowd. Somebody that's there to to witness comedy. Right. Um. It's definitely weird when you're on stage and you're in my head, okay, I'm going to go up with this bit and then it, your, your mouth opens and it's not what you meant to say. And even as you say, it's like, why are you, you, my mind's like, why are you saying it that way? You know, that's not how you wrote it. And then it's, before you know it, it's gone and it's already out there and you're trying to pick up the trying pieces. Trying to save it or pick it up. It is the craziest thing. Like I will go up there and be like, these are my three pieces I'm going to touch on and I will maybe hit one. Because you get up there and someone distracts you. And I mean, I, I posted a video recently where like, you know, the stage we have is not really a stage. It's this patio in an L shape. And the L shape is the wrong way. So like there's people here and there's people here. And then they're closing out a tab literally right behind me. And everybody's inside watching a pillow fight league and taking bets. <laughs> and there's comics. So the thing about an open mic is that 90% of the people in the audience aren't even listening to you. They're just waiting for their turn to go up on stage. They're critiquing you. So just imagine like you playing a show, playing an open mic and you're doing a solo and everybody is just like this. <laughs> yeah. Just analyzing your solo instead of, instead of taking in the music and the moment and enjoying it. Right. You can't. They're analyzing everything. So it, it's, it's definitely been rough. It's character building uh, on another yeah. level. Yeah. Um, but the scariest thing to me, Otto, is singing. Because I do not have a singing really? voice. And, and I don't know what you would say to somebody that says they don't have a singing voice. But um, I, 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 I don't. And so the scariest thing to me is actually singing. I can hide behind an instrument for a little bit. I can go up there and try to be a funny guy. But singing is the ultimate vulnerability to me. Yeah. Well, you know, the more you do anything, the better you get at it. Singing, singing uh, you can do with any voice. But 
It's, it's like everything else that takes some exercise. You know, yeah. you got to work it out. Um, when you said that, it reminded me of the this the show that we're putting together that I'm really really thrilled about. And it's a guy in town who has a show called Life from Laurel Canyon, and they play the Mim, you know, and they play all over the country in the performance arts centers. And that's just a show about all the songs written by songwriters that lived in Laurel Canyon back in the '60s and '70s. And all these famous cats did, and they worked with each other. Yeah. And uh, so the, he has a second version of the show called The Music of James and Joni. You know, Life from Laurel Canyon presents, and it's only James Taylor and Joni Mitchell. Yeah. Well, then he came up with this idea to do a third show called Life from Laurel Canyon presents The Lost Weekend. And it's the, that's a phrase coined by uh, about John Lennon's 18 months in L.A. when Yoko kicked him out of the house in New York. And he hung out there and uh, ended up producing a record with Harry Nilsson, who is a great singer-songwriter. And so he wanted to, to really focus on the music of John Lennon and Harry Nilsson. And then he thought to himself, but I'm not going to sing that stuff. And Otto has a Lennon tribute show, and he can probably sing the Nilsson stuff. So he asked me, would you like to sing in this show I want to put together? So I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And I knew Harry's stuff, but not intimately. Yeah. So I've been studying it and learning it. And oh my God, this cat could sing. And so to sing the songs, I'm learning to do things with my voice I've never done. And I'm uh. like, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. I can't believe I made that sound. Can I do that every time though? <laughs> no. Can I get to a place where I feel comfortable standing on stage to represent this work to Ooh. that level? Yeah. It's like, that's going to be a big lift. But it's exciting trying to, to get there and do it. The music is so incredible. And uh, the requirement of me as a singer is more than anything's ever been required of me. The, the dynamic, the everything about the way this man performed his voice uh, is phenomenal. So I'm really excited about that. That's exciting, man. You're testing yourself, you know. That's going to be a good that, one. Because when, when I get it right, People are just going to die. Ugh. I mean, they're going to cry. They're going to call me the greatest singer that ever lived. And it's not me. It's he was so good and he wrote such a powerfully cool stuff. And then to switch into the Lennon voice, which is my natural thing that everyone can't believe sounds just like the guy, and switch back and forth. It, I'm impressed with it. Yeah. And, and so I know, and, he, and so I just know that people are just going to be shook when we do this show and I do it well. So I'm really excited about doing it. You know? What, what was the. Um... Um, wh when does that come out? Do we know? As soon as we get it done. For example, the phase we're in is, is still, the way the show works uh, with Live from Laurel Canyon brand is every song, they discuss the song a bit before they play it. Where gotcha. it came from, mm -hmm. who wrote it, how it happened, why it was important for this you know, show, and then the band plays the song. So they kind of talk, set up everyone. So both Brian and I have been doing some research on this stuff because there's not a lot out there for us to get information. So we've been writing the story mm -hmm. that needs to be to present the songs and trying to uh, research it through other sources. And we've got a few more where people we're trying to reach out to. So once we finalize, you know, how we want to present each song, because some songs we would like to play, we can't figure out how to present it. So it's just not going to be in the show. Uh -huh. So it's almost still determining exactly which tunes are going to be in the show. Yeah. Um, then we'll then we'll have a rehearsal. We're hoping to do a show before the end of the year in town mm -hmm. uh, and film it so that we have something to then pitch to the performing arts centers you know around the country and hopefully next uh, spring and summer we'll start taking this thing out. So 
I'm excited about that. That's going to be so much fun. I, that, I will be having the time of my life if we do that show. Yeah, yeah, you would yeah. easily. I mean, that, that covers most of your bases. There. Yeah, and it's like I don't have to <laughs> play. I just have to sing my ass off really hard yeah. on these really, really cool songs with an incredible band uh, in venues where people come to listen, exactly. not in bars where you're the background music. It's a very yeah. different experience. It's an appreciation. It's, 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 it's different. I mean, yeah. the, the, venue, the venue is always going to be... Yeah. hands down the biggest dictator on on how 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 the event is received and in, in, yeah. in general for for both the artists and and the the audience members um i did want to ask you about maybe a moment in us in the studio where you feel like the what was happening in that room kind of transcended what the musicians were what you were and you guys just made some magic happen and oh, yeah. and we're just like what the hell just happened yeah, a lot of those, you know. Um, Can you speak on like a few that maybe yeah. stick out? <clears throat> yeah, one, one. There's a saxophone, uh, saxophonist, you know, musician, songwriter Eddie Menenfield, Eddie M. And uh, I've worked with Eddie a bunch of time, a bunch of records, and I've done three of his solo albums as an engineer. And he's out with um, Sheila E. In, in her regular band all the time, and yeah. they met way back in the Prince days. Uh, Eddie's first tour was Purple Rain with Prince. He was 18, you know. And uh, playing lots of smooth jazz records uh, with Wayman Tisdale and a bunch of people. That's where I met him on the first record I did with Wayman Tisdale for Motown. And so anyway, Eddie and I are, are great friends. And while I was working on one of his records, uh, we were tracking in Fran San Francisco and we were coming back to Phoenix. We were going to be mixing back here. And so I was, we stopped by the studio to drop the tapes off back when we recorded on real estate. <laughs> and we were just going to leave him there and go home. And then we were going to come in and, you know, work the next day. Well, he had this melody idea on one song that he hadn't recorded yet, and he wanted to record it before he forgot it. So the song is kind of worked in, but the melody Multitracks isn't? Multitracks recorded, the band's recorded, but he hadn't done his, like, his solo main line. He's like the gotcha. lead singer through saxophone. Gotcha. And so we get to the studio, and I am deathly sick. I caught a cold like the day before or something, and I'm like really feeling bad. Yeah. And I'm like, no, Eddie, no, we're not going to do that. He's, oh, he's like, let man. me just, let me just, no, you, no, I can't. I'm, I got to get home, get to bed. He's like, no, just, just for a second. Well, I'll only do one pass. I'm like, because it's him, my friend. Uh, and, you know, I'm like, okay, fine, we'll do it. I'm not even taking my coat off, right? Put the reel on, put the mic up, put him in there. All right, go. You know, and, and he played, and it was uh, it was so incredible that just in the first three minutes, I felt a little better. And he was like, okay, man, thanks. I appreciate that. I said, no, that's okay, hold on. <laughs> just take it again. <laughs> I rolled back, I took my coat off, I sat down, and we, yeah. spent, we spent a little time, you know, working on it, getting kind of what he wanted to get. And by the time we got done, maybe only a half hour or so, 40 minutes, I was like, man, I'm not sick anymore. I said, I've, you, you healed me. Yeah. And, it, and I'm being, I mean, it sounds kind of corny, but I'm yeah. being completely honest that that was an experience I had where music healed me. I felt fine afterwards. I was wow. not sick. I didn't have my cold anymore. Yeah. And I didn't have to go home. I was fine the next day. It was over. Whatever was going on in me. Whatever you were fighting off. was over. Your Wow. After 30 minutes of him playing this beautiful, beautiful piece of music that he was working on. So, I mean, that's that was a crazy experience. But then another fun one I'd just like to share is that uh, Nils Lofgren is a guitarist. Mm -hmm. uh, he plays with Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band, does his own solo stuff, plays with Neil Young. Uh, very, very, you know, successful professional career. Plays with Ringo Starr's All-Star Band. Nils is probably one of the most uh, proficient technicians I've ever seen in my life the mm. guy can just do anything on guitar 
And I was lucky enough to be working with him at the time at my studio in Phoenix, and we were doing a new album of his yeah. called Breakaway Angel. And he, uh, so we were going to put a band together, and he was living here, so he's thinking maybe local guys. But I had been doing some work with a session drummer out of L.A. called uh, Michael Botts, who was the drummer in a band called Bread, which your parents probably remember. <laughs> uh, Michael was also a session player. He's passed since. Uh, great, great guy, great player. But I had worked with him on a couple of projects, and I said, hey, would you like to do this record with Nils? And he had worked with him on one other thing. So I was like, yeah, I'd love to. Great. And he said, uh, I, I thought, well, you know, what if we get Lee Sklar to play bass? Lee's a famous session guy. He's always on tour with Phil Collins and James Taylor and all these guys. He's the one with the long white beard. You see him on all the videos and all yeah, the pictures. Yeah. Just famous, famous guy. And him and Mike played a lot of sessions together. So... Uh, and I said to Nils, I said, you know, I think I could probably reach out to Lee Sklar if you'd like to have him on the record. What do you think? And Nils is like, oh, my God, I've never met him. I'd love to have him on the record. So we got, uh, long story short, uh, we got Lee on the record. So now we have Damn. Mike Botts, we have Lee Sklar, and we have Christine Vivona on harp. She lived in Tucson at the time. And Nils on guitar. And now for three days, they're only going to do, I think it was five songs, but... Yeah, five songs, but Nils booked like three solid days just to do them over and over and over. He wanted to just everybody play at the same time and nail it, you know. Whoa. And I felt like I should be paying them no way. to sit in the room. Because, no I mean, once we were set up and mic'd and going, it sounded so incredible, and I'm hitting the space bar, there are number three button to record and Pro Tools and the space bar to stop yeah. and go again. All I did was play and record for three days without moving a mic or changing anything because they were just tracking the tracks. And that, talk about transcendent. I felt like I was at an eight-hour concert, even though the music wasn't changing. I know we're doing yeah. the same song. We're doing another version of it. We're going to move on to this other song. We're going to come back. Every performance was always immaculate because of the guys involved. The musicianship. Uh, yeah. yeah. So when that's happening, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, you know? when it doesn't feel like work. You know, at the when end it, of the day. When the music is so good, yeah, yeah. That, and, the, and the technicians, the, the artists are so are so good. That it, there is, we're not talking about anything but the music. Yeah, we're not talking about the microphone, or you're out of tune, or I hear a buzz, or how come you can't play in time. We're not fixing anything. Yeah, we're just trying to figure out was that more magnificent than the last one? Oh, how do we shit. measure that? Sit back and listen again. I can't tell. They're both so great. Can we listen again? It's like it's like being in the kitchen and, and cooking up the same recipe and then you're like is that bite better than the last like i don't know let's try it again yeah. and it's like it, you you can't yeah yeah so that was you know that was a, a fun session um and then just another one would be well there's, there's there's just so many uh working with sam moore and working with billy preston and when guys are that good uh it's it always can, just kind of takes your breath away yeah you're, you're in awe of what they do same thing with DMX. I mean, I wasn't a big DMX fan, but mm -hmm. he got on a mic and I was like, holy shit, this guy's for real. Yeah. I mean, he left nothing in the tank really? uh, and was just so impressive. So it's, you know, and it wasn't the kind of stuff I listened to, but boy, I became a fan right away. Yeah. I think you, you can do that once once you get uh, uh, acquainted with the yeah. actual person behind the yeah. behind the name behind the, the the not the facade but just the aura of mm -hmm. everything you've heard right and it's just like oh okay yeah you, you you your mind is in the right place when it comes to your art yeah you know and when you hear a record you don't know if they spent two months on it or two minutes and i think that when you hear somebody get on the mic and they sound 100 percent like their record you're like mm. oh you just you really do this this is really you yeah authenticity you know? yeah it's not put together with a lot of effort and post-production work. Yeah. You can capture it in the yeah. moment. Like, yeah. 
That's awesome. What about moments where you just had to walk out? <laughs> yeah, I've had a few of those too. <laughs> That's funny. Well, we won't oh my name gosh. any names, but <laughs> um, no, I've have I have had those. Um, you know, and, and really, the, it comes down to in a recording session if you're the producer or you're the engineer. Uh, the producer is responsible. They're the ones who's been brought on to do the project. The engineer is brought on to run the gear. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> if someone's disrespecting you as an engineer or causing you such you know, grief that you wish you were dead and you're just the engineer, yeah. um, you know, that's very different. They can get another engineer. You can get in or out of the picture one way or another. Yep. Um, but the producer has got to finish the gig, right? Gotcha. I had a producer client who came in to do a gig he had to do with a particular artist who after about three or four hours I wanted to go over there and beat him up I was just, just this guy was just so bad not not talent wise yeah personally the way he was and the way he was being yeah I wanted to throw him out of the room I just just could not stand it and I turned to the, my producer who was my client and I said to him do you have to do this record because I don't have to do this but if you have to do this I'll do it with you and he said, I have to do this. I said, okay, then we'll finish this. But I'm never going to work with this guy again. And yeah, I yeah, never yeah. did. And this guy has hounded me for 20 years. Changed his name, moved to different towns, still calls, to, and still tries to get me to do things for him. Yeah. It's like, yeah I I not that one with time you. was enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not working with you. Uh, so it's, you know, those things happen, but that's, that was, that's more of a people thing than, than, a, than a process thing. Um, but that's, you know, it's, you're making music. So the, one of the odd things about, about music is that, you know, like you said, it transcends. You, you'll find people in a room that maybe would never hang out together, mm-hmm. who maybe wouldn't get, even get along. But all of a sudden that beat starts bumping and everyone's like, yeah, oh my God, this is amazing. And they're yeah. high-fiving and hugging over this track and they walk out and they wouldn't even say hello outside. <laughs> I mean, it's like music brings people together in a, in a way that it's undeniable. You, you you rise above those things and you both are, are kind of honoring the music in that space. Yeah. So it's fascinating to see that happen. Yeah, it, it really does. What is a, um, oh, I just lost the question. <laughs> oh, no, no. What What is a project that you worked on that you felt really proud of? Oh, lots, <clears throat> you know, lots of them. I think, I guess the real key is when to think of something like that that you're proud of is that you did something. In other words, when I t- talk about that Nils Lofgren record, I'm, I'm proud of the record because it sounds wonderful. But yeah. to be honest, I feel like I didn't do anything. I set up gotcha. microphones, I set tones and levels, yeah, and, yeah. and they did it. And then uh, on the other hand, when you're producing a record, like one of the records I've done of my own music, where I play every instrument, except maybe I hire a drummer, because mm-hmm. I don't do drums, and uh, or hire somebody else to play a particular instrument. But then I'm actually doing everything. I'm writing, recording, and yeah. You know, and, yeah, yeah. and then you sit back and go, wow, that's really cool. So I, I, I think from a pride point of view, I feel proud of those, those yeah. projects. I guess that was my question where you had to really dig deep in, in that and like maybe you were unsure and then on the other side of it, you were just like, man, okay, heck yeah. Yeah. This is out there now and I feel good about it. Yeah, I think probably um, my records more than anything else mm. because – for everyone else, um, you're trying to you're trying to do something for them. You're trying yeah, to take their vision. Yeah, I've never tried to take an artist and put them in a box. Oh, here's what you should sound like. Yeah. You know, and a lot of producers have their sound, and you're going to get their sound. I've never been that way. I'm more like, what's what's right about you, and what's wrong about you? From mm. my point of view, what do we need to improve, replace, edit, 
and what do we want to magnify? What's the what's the beautiful part? You know, mm-hmm. I think photographers do that with makeup and lights. You know, that's true. You know, you and me, big nose. Okay, let's get the lights not from the sides, or the shadow's <laughs> going to go all the way across your face. You know, um, so they have a way of making you as pretty as you've ever been, and then they take a picture. And you go, oh my gosh, that's me. Look, it's like, well, not really. That's you with two hours of makeup and lighting. Yeah. Um, and that's what the record is. You want the record to be the prettiest, most best foot forward version of their emotional expression of that stuff that they created. So that's, I tend to try to find that in them and pull that out and magnify that. And then I do around it what needs to be done around it to to present it well. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the end, it's kind of, it's always going to be something like, I don't find pride in it. I hope they feel proud of it. Yeah, you know. So I think I guess getting back to that, the place where I felt pride isn't in from the ground up writing something, performing something, and putting it out and going, "Wow, it's like I did that." I don't feel like I did that when it's someone else's record, even though I did that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It takes, I guess, I have to do it all to feel like I did it. Yeah, yeah. You got to take full on ownership at that point. Yeah, for your piece. No, that makes sense. Yeah. That make but sense. it's so much fun making records and and doing television and uh i mean video editing i love that performing i love performing i mean there's if i did any one of these things and only one of them i'd lose my mind (laughs) because i would be unhappy if i just sang on stage all the time yeah i think what makes it special is i don't do it every day that's true uh i love making records with people because i don't have to do it every day yeah it stays fresh i'd love selling guitars in guitar center if i didn't have to do it every day (laughs) yeah oh great get to meet some people again only all these cool guitars you know yeah um Anything you do all the time, I would it would completely wear me out. I can't. I'm not that way. Yeah. No. It's it's the 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 dullness of just just routine. I yeah. guess at that point. And and I mean, there's routine where you can keep it varied enough, which yeah. which you do. You have a routine, but it's varied enough yeah. to keep you. So um, besides music, what what's another big passion of yours? Um. Or just just a hobby or something that you do to like. I'd love to play tennis. Tennis is a lot of fun, and everyone's telling me pickleball. And yeah, it's like, do we? I was about to say, how do we feel about pickleball? What's I don't want to like it. I haven't tried it yet because yeah. I and it's like golf. You know, it's like I'm not good enough at tennis yet to start playing pickleball because yeah. I know that I'll never, probably never go back to tennis because <laughs> it looks like it's a lot easier and it's more fun. It is, yeah, yeah. But tennis, I was just getting good. Um, you know, it's so hot out; it's hard to play. So you get these big spaces where you can't really play out mm-hmm, much. Mm-hmm. But once you when you start getting good at it. It's like, holy cow, it's fun. And so now I never could watch tennis on TV before I played it. Yes. Now I can watch it and go, wow, that's amazing. And you appreciate it more. Yeah. That's the insight, man. That's a fun one. That's the insight of just getting into something. Yeah. That that then you you get an appreciation because, okay, now I understand these rules, the parameters, what... I think rules rules exist there um, to keep, you know, the game you know, more in line and, mm-hmm. and, and to, to make, to make it more of a game, you have to work within this realm to be good instead of like, well, like, like the analogy of like baseball, like a home run. Why does a home run exist? Shouldn't your aim? And I got this idea from playing pickleball where it's like, I would hit it pat outside of the court and I'm just like, what the hell? Well, why is a home run a thing then? You hit it outside of the baseball field and it's a one point. Like that was just some meathead that couldn't place the ball good enough. So he's like, I'm just going to hit the fuck out of it. And oh, now it's one point. That's funny. And I think that rules, rules exist to, so you can, you can hyper zone in on being great in this particular, you know, moment. Have you ever played baseball in a sandlot that didn't have a back fence? 
Right. So there's your home run. There you is. hit it over everybody's head. Now you earned it. And and by the time they get to the ball, you've already scored. Yeah. So I think it. then the kind the concept was well. So pretty much, if you go this far, that's far enough. So let's just put a wall, and so it stops. It. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> you know, because I remember chasing a ball, and you turn around, the guy's already around there. You're still going for the ball, and you can't even throw it back that far. You got to exactly. run it back. Um, playing in open sand lots when we were kids, but <laughs> it's fun. That's, that's very true. I mean, that, that's probably a good point where they were like, okay, by this point, if he hits it out of here, well, then he would have ran across. So now it's a home run. <laughs> that makes sense. See, this is what I I'm talking with about. That. I helped you with that. About. That's another angle there. I love yeah. that. So, so tennis. So, is that something that you and the misses do? Yeah, we have a couple friends here in town that we play with too, and it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. I got a tennis racket. Hit me up. <laughs> I'd love to. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love sports just in general. Yeah, yeah. Any, any any anything physical with yeah. the ball. Yeah, and I was a huge basketball player, still a huge basketball fan. Yeah, and I used to always say, you know, I never went to a gym. I hated to exercise, and I always said, I'll get my exercise by accident. I want to play. Yeah, yeah, that's where I was at. Yeah, I will. I'll run. I'll swim. I'll play baseball. I'll play basketball. I'll I'll play whatever you want to play, but I will not go to the gym. Yeah, yeah. and get on a treadmill or lift weights. My football coach hated me because football season. Anytime they would they would strike up a volleyball game out there, I would just run out and play the volleyball game instead of playing, you know, weightlifting. Yeah, I'm like we're in PE right now, not not weightlifting, coach. So I'm gonna play my volleyballs. Yeah. I love sports. I mean, I get muscle building, and that's important, especially in something like football. But mm-hmm. but when it comes to just an exercise regimen, I have a hard time um, having an interest in just doing some sort of repetitive activity that doesn't have a, a point. I think my mind needs to be engaged in another way. Yeah, and and the concept of of, of you know the combat of sport, you know, really yeah. where the competition is, uh, intellectually it's engaging. You're strategizing, you know, it you're, is you're, tons of strategy. you're pushing, you're fighting, you're trying, you're, you know, that's, that's what I get engaged by. Yeah. No, there's, there's lots of that. I mean, people will look at sports and just be like, well, it's a, just a bunch of brutes yeah. and, and whatnot. And it's like, no, no, there's their strategy, which is why yeah. the rules exist because yeah. rules exist because people were exploiting <laughs> something that maybe wasn't necessarily cheating, right. but Hey, that's taken away from well, the, you know, the game. One of my buddies in tennis, he always wants to just say, let's just hit it back and forth. Don't worry about whether it's in or out of bounds. I just want to run around. And I'm like, I don't want to just run around. I want to try and Purposeful. win. Yeah. I want to put it, you know. So it's like, no, let's play with the rules. No, let's just hit the ball. I don't want to just hit the ball. I can just go over. I can go anywhere and just hit a ball. Exactly. We're on a freaking tennis card. Let's play tennis. Yeah. Let's let's get some 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 nice so honest competitive. Yeah. So it's interesting know. that people have different perspectives on that, you know. But then, and I was always one. Maybe it comes from growing up, trying, you know, being the good kid you're supposed to be. But I always liked the rules and. Because I always felt like you can't measure win or loss without the rule. You need the rules. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to cheat, well, then I don't care. I don't want to play. I could never cheat because I didn't. That wouldn't be a win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to win. I needed yeah. to know the rules in order to win. Yeah. In order, what's one of the rules? How does this game work? Yep. yep. You know. Um, so I was, I was always into playing within the rules, but playing hard. You know. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm the same in that sense. Yeah. I, I had a I had a lot of uh, high regard for for the authority of it. Like let's right. let's let's this is where it's at. Yes, yeah, the outline of the whole. Yeah, there's a purpose for it. Exactly, exactly, and and you find a and it leads to creativity. That's mm-hmm. what people people would think. I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, cheating is a form of creativity. You're finding a way to be creative, and that's literally the only reason rules exist is because somebody was exploiting it. So that's why there's rules. You know, it's like okay, well, that's taken away from the spirit of the game. So let's create a rule to, you know, negate that. Right. It's it's all there. It's it's all strategy. Yeah. I mean, is is. Is it all for a form of, of 
gamesmanship uh, of war is all these sports are like the olympics competition is you know i think on a certain level i mean i don't know about version of war but war is a competitive uh, event as well as destructive as it is yeah yeah but um no i think that we like to achieve and achieving is another uh level of problem solving when you have a problem, you solve it. You achieved a solution that required some sort of effort. And if two people are trying to solve the same problem, then you're competing for for gaining a solution. And if you get a solution, you might share the solution. So you're the one who gets the respect for finding the solution. So in a sense, you won the game yeah. of solving the problem. So, I mean, those those things in life are all kind of the same. So I think uh, physical competition and, and um Winning and losing are really important parts of learning to the value of struggle yeah. and the value of the journey. The journey isn't just to ride and watch everybody else. It's not just, it's to participate. Yeah, you got to participate. Yeah. And so winning and losing is a part of a struggle and a struggle. When you get back to making records, the struggle is what it's all about. If you, you'll watch that on the show a lot when I have a singer who's just great. It's like, well, what's the point of you singing something effortlessly? I don't, that doesn't inspire me. It needs to sound like it's hard for you. It needs to sound like it matters to you. So sometimes you change the key so it's harder for them to sing. So that there's a little bit of this sometimes. Because all of a sudden, now, why are you, oh, now it sounds like this is important to you. I'm hearing some effort being put into this. Like, you have to tell me this and there's Some. growth at that point. Yeah, and so you know, you, you you want the struggle. The struggle tells what the story was, why the story mattered. So that's part of what has to be expressed in my mind a lot of times in songs. You're looking for that, even from the musician. It's like, yeah. no, don't play it quite that sweet. Make it sound like it was harder to do. You know, <laughs> here I'm gonna shake you while you play the solo, yeah. so you can't quite make it perfect. You yeah, know? so you can breathe it, make so make it living instead yeah. of just kind of like yep. almost through the just going through the motions. Yeah. yeah. Did, did I mention to you the Masogi, the Japanese thing? Uh, I think before, while we were setting up equipment, you did. Yeah, and I think that so that's kind of like what you're not what you're pushing for, but you're pushing, you know, you push, you push for that on the show to to test them so they can feel, bro. I mean, I guess I, let me go to this. So I I hiked Papago Mountains not too long ago, and I went off trail. And I saw like Gila monsters. I'm kind of through the brush. I'm like, I shouldn't be here, but you know, I'm enjoying this right now. I see, which which I later found out was a, a, a hive of bees, and one came out and bumped me in the head. And that's like their defense that says, "Hey, we know you're here. We don't want you here. Go on." And I didn't know what was coming after that. I just know one attacked me. I'm out of here. Because I was like, it's either my adrenaline, my endorphins or whatever is coming off of me that made me seem like a threat. And now I don't know what's going to happen with these bees. So I like I ran as fast as I could and I'm like trying to get down and I ran into another section of the hive and I'm like, have they been communicating? Like, I don't know. (laughs) And I I had to like drop like eight feet down because I'm off trail. I'm in in the Papago Mountains near the zoo, the Phoenix Zoo. And afterwards... I was like, man, I feel alive because <laughs> I had a brush with who knows. I mean, if I could, if I would have been stung by all of those, yeah, who knows what kind of, right. you know, effects it has. But I felt alive in that moment, that little danger. And so I think when you get pushed out of your comfort zone and you get pushed to do something that you thought was out of your wheelhouse and what you try to do here with mm-hmm. your guests, mm-hmm. I think it brings what you're working on to life a little bit more yeah. and it, and yeah. it feels you, there's oh, more yeah. feeling to it yeah. at that point. Yeah. I think the re- the process of making a record should always 
in part be a process of discovery. Yeah. A lot of people map it all out and think they have it figured out when they get there. Yeah, yeah. And then they're just executing their grocery list of items to, to achieve and they, yeah. they're done. And you'll hear an artist like that say when you ask him, how's that new record you made? They go, well, I think it's pretty good. I think we, we got what we were aiming for. And I'm like, why were you aiming for anything? I don't oh, understand. Oh, damn. That's, when, when somebody makes a record they're really proud of, you know, a record you want to listen to is when in the interview they're asked, you know, what do you think of the new record you put out? And they're like, oh, you're going to love it. It's like, I love it. It's a great record. They didn't aim at something. They yeah. went inside to find something and they found something and they brought it out and they're like, holy cow, look at this. Uh, that's the incredible stuff you want to hear. Okay. One thing I've noticed from everything I've done is um, recently is really stepping out like podcasting. I know business podcasting. Uh, playing bass on stage. I had no business playing on stage the way I was. And now stand up. And, 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 and then all the physical activities, the hiking I'm doing. And people are just like, dude, you're just going after it. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm no good. And there's still a ton of admiration in there. I'm like, oh, people love to see people go for it and be out of, it's out of your wheelhouse and you might be drowning a little bit, right. but you're continuing yeah. and you're, you're, you're going forward and you're going after it and you're failing and failing publicly. Like I'm, I'm posting all my stuff, man. I'm like, you know, you said, and I have no business doing this. I did this. And I have no business doing that. You, you know, you said that you used those words. And I want to say that nobody has any business doing anything. The first time, if you want to say, if you're bad, you don't have any business doing it. Yeah. The first podcast you do will be bad. Yeah. The next one will be better. The first live show you do will be bad. The next one will be better. The first time you do anything, it's going to hopefully be a lot worse than as you continue to do it, right? Yeah. So you might always feel like you have no business being there, but the, the truth is the only thing you can do is be there the first time. So you're never going to feel like yeah. you belong when you start because you don't. Because <laughs> you don't. But you will if you start. Yeah. That's the thing. And in fact, I had this band that was going to come in on the show, Young Kids, and they canceled at the last minute because they said, well, we don't think we're really, we're really ready for it for Otto to, to work with us. We we're going to spend the summer rehearsing and then we'll come. Yeah. And that word got to me through the person that was communicating with the band, so I never had a chance to speak with the band. And I would have told them, I said, look, guys, people don't come to me because they're ready. They come to me to get ready. They come and I take them and lift them up. I mm -hmm. show them, oh, do this, do that. I polish it off, you know. No one's ready. Because I don't care what you do, I can tell where we can go from there. If you're really, really great, then the level of nuance that we're going to be discussing is really small and it has, it's minor, but there'll be improvements that I can imagine that can be done. And if you're a beginner, it's like, okay, let's get you playing on time, you know, and quit playing all those notes. Let's just play whole notes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't play well enough to do all the stuff you think you're playing, you yeah. know, and I, I can make the record sound better. I can make them better. But these guys weren't, they didn't understand. They felt like they needed to be ready. But when, you, when you're young, too, uh, they were told by everyone at their school that they were the best band ever, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think they lived in a little, they were 18, 19, 20. Bubble. They lived in a little bubble where they were king of the hill. They, everyone told them they were. And they were afraid they were going to find out they weren't. And I don't think they were prepared to face their ego in the yeah. mirror. Oh, that's the one. Because when you're young still, it's like, I don't want him to tell me that I'm not great. Yeah. I don't want anyone, especially on TV. So I'm just going to stay home. Then I can still... I'm still great. No one's ever told me. Then, I'm not yeah, great. exactly right. And then you're living, you're living in that uh, that facade in a sense. Which you know that's fine. That's it's it's in the womb. 
You yeah. know, it's kind of like you got to get nurtured and get your strength up, but then you got to step out. And if you're going to do something for real, you know, you have to be able to take the criticism and get better. That's how you get better. Yeah. Yeah. Put, put your ego in check yeah. in that sense. Man, those are some very kind words <laughs> from you, Otto. <laughs> cool. Yeah. It's been awesome, man. I appreciate you coming on. Well, thanks for inviting me. Um, dude. So now we got to play tennis and we have to, I have to do stand up with you. Yes, you do. So maybe we'll work out a tennis routine. Yeah, let's do it. That'd be fun. We'll hit the jokes back and forth. Is that there what you're you saying? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> we'll be on the stage at the same time. Who's on first? <laughs> um, well, let's, uh, let's do our best to plug in your show right now so everybody knows, no question about it, right here and now, how to best consume your show and to support everything you have going on with it. Yeah, the biggest thing is to continue to provide these independent artists with free studio time and recorded masters and then get featured on TV. And as this thing grows, more and more eyeballs will come to all of these guys. Uh, the best way to do that is to go to therecordingartist.com. And you can, you can either purchase a lifetime membership, which is a big support. Uh, there's a couple different versions. One comes with T-shirts. One comes with your picture and name on the website. You know, it's a supporter. Uh, or you can subscribe by the month. There's a monthly fee. You can get a discount for six months. You get a discount for an annual membership. But come to the website, therecordingartist.com. Check out a lot of the free content and subscribe. Uh, there's a ton of content to watch that you can watch when you subscribe. That's mm -hmm. constantly growing catalog. And we do right now we're doing another free band, live webcast every month. And after we get uh, these next 10 episodes cut for TV, we'll probably move to back to every week. Beautiful. So, and it's going to be available on Amazon Prime and Roku. Yep. Right now, season one is on Amazon Prime. We, and if you have Roku TV, just download the the Recording Artist channel. It's a free channel. And if you can't find that on Roku, then you haven't updated your software. It's a weird thing about That's Roku. Right. You have to update it every once in a while, and it loads all the new channels into the program. Makes sense. But if you've uploaded it or updated it recently, just search the Recording Artist. You'll see our logo. Download the channel. It's free. A lot of the content there will be free. And you can actually watch the live sessions uh, when they happen on your Roku channel on your TV. That's badass. That's it's very cool. very convenient, guys. Lots of ways to, yeah, to watch. Yeah, it's very, very cool. And on Instagram, it's the recording artist. Yep. The recording artist dot com. The word dot. D O T. Yeah. yeah. And also myself, I'm on Instagram at Otto Dagnolo, spelled the way my name is spelled. You finally said it, Dagnolo. Dagnolo. Yeah. D A G N O L O. And then uh, also, let's see, on you know, Facebook, there's everything's there too. So kind of all over. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, seriously, thanks. We, we mentioned how time Thank is. You, brother is the most valuable so i yeah. appreciate you setting aside yeah. some time i was excited and, uh, when you invited me oh, making a girl blush <laughs> <laughs> all right buddy i love you man you too guys stay tuned for the next episode and please 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 follow auto and support him thank you now there's an original observer but this guy this guy's an idiot i mean he's a moron <laughs>